And, and as I begin to, to think about what, what separates the great heroes of the Bible, what, what, what makes uh, uh, Moses Moses, what, what, what was different about him uh, that gave him the ability to lead millions of people out of Egypt, the strongest nation in all the world, the greatest empire in the day, to, to have the courage and the ability to go in and to lead them out and cross the Red Sea and live in the desert and, and, and do all that he did, what, what, what was different about him than everybody else? And, and, and most importantly and, and significantly, what was different between Saul, King Saul and King David? And if you don't know know who those are. King Saul was Israel's first king. Israel came to uh, the people, uh, came to God, and they said they wanted a king like all the other nations had a king, and, and they wanted a man to be able to lead them. And, 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 and so God, this wasn't God's first plan, but God said that he would do this because they asked for it. And so he sets up this idea of a king, and he calls, he goes to Samuel the prophet, and he says, listen, I've, I've raised up Saul. He's going to be the king. It said that he was head and shoulders above everybody else, that he was a tall. He was, if you were to picture what a king should look like and what a leader should look like and what a warrior should look like, it was, it was Saul. He was gifted, he was talented, he had a lot of abilities, he was a people person, people followed him, respected him, led him, and, and when God chose him, nobody was like, no, not that guy. Everybody was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He was the first king. The second king was King David. Now, this is the one that, that makes people go, what? what was God thinking? This is the little youngest of his family, little shepherd boy out playing with sheep in the field. It says that he was the smallest stature. He was ruddy looking. I don't really know what ruddy means, but I mean, it was that. I'm, it's just a little, just a, you know, maybe a little handsome, rugged little guy and, who played with sheep. I mean, that was, that was David. But he, he came to Samuel, the same prophet, and he said, I want David to be king. Now, I want you to understand that it was the same God that used the same prophet to call two separate men in the same exact way for the same exact reason and the same exact purpose, yet their lives uh, took in entirely different terms because King David uh, became one of the greatest kings that ever walked the face of the land. And even when they refer to Jesus, they refer to Jesus out of the lineage of who? David. Uh, David, David became one of the greatest warriors. He became one of the greatest kings. Um, he was a, a man after God's own heart. He was all of these great things. He did all these great things. And, and, and then in Hebrews 11, when, when, uh, saw, when uh, Paul is going through and he's talking about the heroes of faith, David gets mentioned in that, in that very, I mean, that's like the list that you want to be on. Like, it, it, that's, the, that's the, the, the greatest, the best, the, the ones who did the most in the kingdom of God. David made that list. But you have Saul who didn't. You have Saul who, who rose up and uh, made some mistakes and did some different things and eventually he just got rejected uh, by the Lord altogether. He took the kingship away and him and his son died in battle. It was just a horrible ending. And, and you were to ask point blank, what was the difference between Saul and David? What set these two individuals apart? Many of us would have first looked and said, oh, it was Saul's sin in his life. It was Saul's disobedience. Saul disobeyed the Lord and so, and so he took everything from him. Well, I would argue that Saul did disobey the Lord but that David uh, had an an affair with a married woman, got her pregnant, and murdered her husband to cover it up. Now, for me, I think that that's a little bit more heinous uh, than simply disobeying God in the small way that Saul did. So it's not sin. It's not sin that separated them because they both sinned, and David sinned far greater than Saul did uh, multiple times in his life. As did Moses, as did Jacob, as did uh, uh, Isaac, as did all these, everybody mentioned in Hebrews 11, these heroes, they all sinned, so it wasn't that. And, and, and that was my thought process as I began to study and pray and, and, and fast about this series. I wanted to know what made these guys unshakable. I wanted to know. And, and Paul, in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, he names all these heroes. And then in, in chapter 12, he has a very interesting take 
on these guys. He has a very interesting take on something a very significant that I think will add great value to your life if you understand it fully, accept it as truth, and apply it in your life. So Paul, in Hebrews 11, he, he talks about all these heroes of faith. He starts with Abraham, and he even mentions Samson, um, and he goes through all, the way, all the way through the end. And then he gets to 12, and he starts off in, in verse 12, and he says, Therefore, meaning that everything that I'm talking about in 11, because all these guys, therefore, all 12 is connected to 11. Does that make sense? Therefore, it's a connecting thing. So everything related in 12 is, is connected to in some way to all of these great men of God. In 11. And he says this most of this is one of a very famous, uh, well known scripture um, that is again, this is the third what I call coffee cup scriptures um, that, that we just, we just, we, it loses its power because of its uh, commonality. But this is 12, verse 1, Hebrews 12, verse 1. This is Paul writing. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these are the men that I just told you about in, in 11. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So this is what, this is what Paul says. It's all these great heroes of faith, all Abraham and David, all, because of all, since we're surrounded by all these great heroes of faith, he says, all right, so to you, for you to become a hero of a faith, we're on the same road that they're on. We're on the same race. We're running the same way. We're going the same direction. We're playing the same game. We're involved in the same battle as all of these guys. And we're all running the same way. We all have a purpose in this life. We've all been given life. We are all on the way. And we learned that on the first week in this series is that, that as God uh, moves in our life and goes through our life, that he's always, through everything that happens to us, he's conforming us to the image of of Christ, that he's changing things in our life. He says, now you're on this road and you've got to run and you've got to run this race and you've got to go and you've got to fulfill your purpose and be who God's called you to be and do the things that God's called you to do and accomplish what God's called you to accomplish and ultimately fulfill the purpose that God has for you in this life. He says, but there's things in your life that are hindering you. And he says, and there's sins in your life to easily entangle you. And Paul says, you've got to throw those things off so that you can finish the race that God's put you in, so that you can win the battle that God's put you in, so that you can become who God's called you to be. Now, I, I've heard this a thousand times. You've got to throw off the things that hinder you, and you've got to throw off the sins of your life. And, but I want to tell you something really fast, that, that many of us, we kind of have this mentality about sin, that you know, we get that it's not a good thing in our life, but we don't quite make war against it. We tolerate it. And so if, if any of you guys have ever run a race, uh, I, I, I do CrossFit sometimes, and I'm not a gifted runner anyway, especially long distance. Um, and, and every now and then there's a workout, and, and they have one of these things where it's like an optional where you can, if you're absolutely psychotic, you can run the mile with like a 50-pound vest on. And I'm like, dude, I've got 50 pounds on me that I'm trying to lose. When I lose that, then I'll put a vest on and I'll run more for that. But there, there's this idea that, that, that when we, we, we put things on as we're running the race, it slows us down. It makes it harder. It makes it more difficult. Does that make sense? And so what Paul's saying, he says, all these heroes of faith, all these guys, they've got, you have things in your life that are making your life more difficult. You have things in your life. You have idols in your heart. You have sins that you struggle with that exist in your life, and it's making the race that you're running far harder than it needs to be. 
But we don't do much about it. We just kind of manage that sin and manage those things. And this is another thing. People focus so much on the sins of the lying, cheating, stealing, all the Ten Commandments. But then Paul mentions the things that just hinder us, too. Like friendships in our lives that we don't need to have. Like, like desires in our lives that we don't need to have. There are things in our life that hinder us sometimes even more than sin hinders us. There's things that we look to that, that were once blessings of God that have become idols in our heart. There's people that get fi fixated on something uh, like making money or career or job or all those things we always talk about, the American dream that we chase, and it becomes such a dominant thing in our life that it actually transfers from a career to an idol in our heart and in our life. And Paul's saying, listen, these are things that hinder. Some people, we don't think about it like this, but we have attitudes, attitudes of negativity. We have attitudes of control. We have attitudes. We have, we have control freaks. We have, we have people who are just, they're just frustrated all the time. They can't handle anything. They have attitude issues. They just do. They just have attitudes and these hinders. Anything that hinders you from running the race and from finishing and completing and being who God called you to be, Paul says, all that's got to go from your life. And we know since all it's our destiny for us to be conformed to the image of Christ, that if pride's in our life, that it has to be taken out. If lying's a part of our life, it has to be taken out. If stealing's a part of our life, it has to be taken out. If there's lust in our life, it has to be taken out. If there's hidden addictions in our life, it has to be taken out. If we have idols in our heart, it has to be taken out. It has to be dealt with in some way. Paul's saying you're all running this race to fulfill the purpose that God has for you. You're all being conformed to the image of Christ, but you have all these things in your life, and God has to deal with those things things. So he says, throw all of those off. Throw all the hindrances and all the sins off of your life. And then he moves on. He says, and if you don't, if you don't, he paints this picture here. He said, and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He moves on in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? So this is the thing that I, I, want, to, I want to talk to you about just for a minute because we're getting into the, into the meat of the message. He says, there's some of you guys, in your struggle with sin, you have not yet fought and shed blood. Meaning, you're kind of putting up a resistance, but you haven't taken your sword out and gotten dirty yet. Meaning you understand that there's some things in your life that are causing you issues and, and, and hindering your walk with God. And there's some things in your life that are hindering your marriage. And there's some things in your life that are hindering your purpose. And there's some things in life that are slowing you down and weighing down. You're aware of them. It's not like you're in denial. You understand that these things are there. But Paul says, but you haven't quite pulled out the sword and started the battle yet. You haven't bled for it yet. You haven't made war against it yet. You're tolerating it. You're not fighting a war against sin. You've become a sin manager. You figured out ways to keep it in your life just to keep it at bay, but it still stays around. It's not something that you've waged a war against yet. You haven't bled for it yet. You haven't fought for it yet. You haven't earned it yet. You haven't gone that far yet. You're not good. You just you're just there, and you maybe got a little shield, and you're, it's just surrounding you, and you see it, and you're kind of like pushing it, just like you just kind of. But you haven't quite chopped off its head yet. 
And you haven't entered into the battle to the point that you have shed your own blood. You have not waged a war against the sin yet. And then Paul says, now I want you, for those of you in that state, for those of you that are tolerating that sin in your life, for those of you that recognize you have an idol in your heart, but you're not doing anything about it, for those of you that you know that there's an attitude, you know that there's hindrances, but you're not doing anything about it, you're just tolerating it, you haven't fought yet. He said, to those guys, have you forgotten the word of encouragement? Now when I read it, you're going to think that you have a different definition of encouragement than Paul does. But he says, have you not Forgot, have you forgotten this, this word of encouragement? It's from the Old Testament, and he says it verbatim. Have you, not for, have you forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone. He accepts as sons and daughters. So this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you're running a race. You've got hindrances and sins in your life that are weighing you down, holding you back, hindering your walk with God, hindering your marriage, hindering your purpose, slowing you down, drifting you off to the right and to the left, causing great issues in your life. Eventually, these things undealt with will take everything from you. He says, and you're just tolerating it. You're managing it. You're barely resisting it. You haven't made war on it yet. Paul says, but don't forget. If God sees you as a son and a daughter, and he finds you in this state where you're not throwing it off to the right and throwing it off to the left, where you're not making war against the hindrances and the sins in your life, he said, God will step in and bring discipline into your life and bring punishment into your life. Now, this isn't popular at all. Ask your kids. It's not popular at all. There's so many of us, when we talk about it, we think about the punishment of God or and I even hear preachers doing it, especially when they're reading something in the Old Testament, you know, and God like raised up an army to destroy another army in discipline and punishment. They, 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 they do what I, I call like the, the holy twisting, where they try to defend God who doesn't need defending. Right. We, they try to, they try to they water it down and, and then they try to make it sound nice. It's, it's not what it looks like. No, it is. God raised up an army to kill another army out of discipline and punishment. That doesn't need to be defending. And kind of the modern American viewpoint on this is, is that, well, that's not really a loving God, is it? That would, that, would, that would destroy or bring punishment or bring his hand against one. What kind of loving God would do that? Well, I want you to think about your relationship with your kids to the good parents in the room. If, if, if one of your children developed a legitimate hardcore drug problem, he picked it up somewhere along the way. She picked it up somewhere along the way, and, and they were able to keep it hidden for a while. It's, 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 it's a heavy drug, and, and, and it's getting involved in their life, and all of a sudden you realize that they're changing, their personality's changing, and, and the things that they used to love, they don't love anymore, and, and you realize there's a problem, and after some investigating, you realize that they have a genuine drug problem. They, they have a dependency, a chemical and emotional and physical dependency on this drug. 
And that now the things that they wanted to do and the, and the potential that they had, it just seems to be drifting down. And the desire that they had and the drive that they had just seems to be, and all of a sudden everything in their life is starting to turn towards this idea of this drug. And then, and then it crosses even more lines and it gets to the point to where they're stealing and, and, they're, and they're, they've lost their job and they've cost them their marriage and they're doing all this stuff and, and it's going down. And, 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 and who would say that if that father were to just walk in the room one day and strip all the drugs uh, from his son's life and, and, and tie him to the bed until it was out of his system and then put him in jail or put him in rehab for his own good for a period of days until it got out of his system and so he could fight it and, and punished him and disciplined him so that it would not eventually take his entire life from him. Now, who would look at that father and say that that father was unloving? But wouldn't it be the exact opposite? Wouldn't you look at that father and say, good for him. He did the right thing. He went into his son. He took control of his son's life. He brought in discipline. He took away the drug. He took away the thing. He put him in rehab. He helped him. Nobody would look at the father and go, what a tool. Would they? Nobody would. The thing that you have to understand about things in your life, sins, lusts, addictions, idols, we take idols into our heart, and before long, our entire life revolves around whatever that may be. It becomes what life's about. It becomes why you work. It becomes why you get up in the morning. It becomes your comfort. It becomes the thing that you find your worth in. It becomes the thing you become dependent on it. Just as dependent on it as a drug addict on drugs, you become dependent on this thing. You find your happiness and your worth, and whatever that may be, you find that in there. Now, God understands that if this idol stays in your heart, that you will more than likely never reach the potential that he has for you, and you'll never live the life that he's had for you. You'll never fulfill the purpose that he's had for you. You'll never become the man or the woman that he wants you to be. And so would he be more loving to allow you to just have this thing in your life that eventually takes everything from you? Or would he be more loving to take that thing from you even if it causes you temporary emotional and physical pain? Could we ever look at God and say that he's not loving if he does that? The answer is no, of course not. This is the thing that the American church needs to understand. Is that God doesn't operate on your terms. God doesn't operate on the trends of today's culture. Uh, we developed this sense of, like, we can't punish our kids anymore a few years back. Uh, unluckily enough, I missed that by a few years. We can't bring, we can't spank our children. We can't bring punishment into our children. And now we're looking at the millennial generation and all the research is saying, well, that was a horrible idea. <laughs> so most of you would have maybe disagreed a little bit, but now at this point when they're older and you realize, man, I screwed that one up. Everybody's always talking about the millennials. I'm like, you raised them. Shut your mouth. One millennial. Thank you. Gosh. When I was a kid, Jordan, I was just begging for punishment, and they wouldn't do it. You shut up too, man. But it's not the discipline of God isn't something that we think about or we talk about. But if he sees you as a son or a daughter, it's extremely important. And, and this is the truth, and I want you to hear me. The reason that the American church struggles so much with the idea of God disciplining or playing this part in their life is they don't truly view God as their father. 
you, you, you kind of buy that maybe he's the creator. You kind of buy that maybe he's the savior. And you kind of buy that maybe he's the all-powerful. But you've yet to come to terms with the idea of God being our father. But he is very much our father. And he will operate in our lives the way a perfect father would operate. Which means that he loves. And he loves to the point we can't understand. And out of that love, he will discipline us when we need to be disciplined. To turn our course and to shed these things from our life so that we can run the race that God has called us to run. He goes on, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now this next scripture, verse 7 Endure hardship as discipline. I want you to, this is one of those Paul things that can radically change your life forever if you understand the fullness of this one half a sentence. What Paul says is, he goes, listen, I want you to understand something. You should endure, endure, whatever. Every hardship Every struggle, every bad circumstance, every tough situation, as if it's the discipline of God. It doesn't mean that it is the discipline of God every time. But Paul says, if you, endure, if you think about every time you walk into a season of struggle, every time you walk into a season of difficulty, every time you walk through a season of hardship, if you would stop as soon as you realize, okay, this sucks. This is not positive. This is not a good day. This is going to be a rough road. As soon as you get to that place, in that very moment, you begin to live and walk through it as if it's the discipline of God. As if there's something to learn. As if there's something that's going to fall off of you on the other side of it. As if it's something that's going to make you better. As if it's something that's going to make you stronger. As if it's something that's going to fill you with wisdom. As if it's something on the other side of it. You'll be more conformed to the image of Christ. Now Paul's not saying every struggle you go through, every hardship you deal with is discipline. But he says... What separates these guys? They walk through everything as if it is discipline. They endure through everything as if, and this is a thing that, that I just, people just, we whine so much. We just whine and we complain. And it was just, I don't understand. And it's so hard and it's so difficult and everything. <laughs> Dude, do whiners accomplish anything ever? No. And usually they have far less friends on the other side of it. I love, and my, my thing, and this is just, this is just the, the, the bad, probably a bad part of me. But when I hear people and they're just like, they make horrible financial decision after financial decision after financial decision after financial decision, and then they're crying and they're whining. They don't understand why. Like, God just doesn't bless me financially. No, you're a horrible money manager. You spent 10 years digging a hole and now you're mad at God that uh, he didn't take you out of it in 24 hours. And we just want to whine and complain and blame. Paul says, don't whine, don't complain, don't blame, don't ask why. 
As soon as you, whether you caused it or it was an exterior thing, whatever the circumstance, as soon as you realize this is difficult and this is hard, he said in that moment, begin to endure and begin to walk through it like it's the discipline of God. And if you can learn to do that in your life, then you will persevere in a great way. And here's the thing, and this is, I just want, I want you to just understand this. And everybody, everybody knows this is true, whether you accept it or not, whether you believe in God or not. Everybody in this room, you know this is true. Life is not good sometimes. Right? And to all the whiners and the complainers and the, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, you're going to have to walk through it anyway. Just shut up. Just hush. You're going to have, if it's Monday, unless you die, Tuesday's coming. And you can whine from sunup to sundown. Tuesday's still going to be a reality in your life. Complaining, asking why, being mad at God, going through all these things. This is life. Sin destroyed any reality of us finding true joy and happiness apart from Christ. This world is broken and not from time to time, whether you believe in God or you don't, you will experience the negativity of that brokenness. It's called life. It's going to happen. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be seasons of struggle. No matter who you are, how good you are, how bad you are, how Christian you are, how sinner, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is. You are going to have seasons of struggle. Now, you have to ask yourself, how am I going to walk through it? Am I going to let it crush me? Or from day one, am I going to say, I don't know what's coming, but I'm choosing to endure this as if it's God teaching me a lesson, no matter what it is. Even though the majority of the horrible pain we walk through has nothing to do with God and our own stupidity. And if you take five seconds to be honest with yourself, you will recognize that to be the truth. We are the cause of the vast majority of difficult seasons in our life. Not all of them, but most of them. Right? So this is a reality. See, Paul is, and, and my heart is this morning, is to tell you, in case you haven't realized it yet, that this is not a TV show, that this is life. Life is difficult. It is real. And we have struggles. It's not going to be easy. It will never be easy. Ever. If you go back and you, and you study Abraham's life and you study Paul and you, you study David and you study all these guys, there's nobody that was just like, man, been a, been a cakewalk. Been a cakewalk. David, all David was was a shepherd and he had to fight lions and bears. Called by God to be king. Walked through, oh, have you, have you ever studied David's life? I feel bad for the dude. Half that, half that junk had nothing to do with him. And he walked through hell time and time and time and time again. But he never wanted you. Go through and you read the Psalms. And you read the Psalms. And you see what David went through. You go through, I mean, you think you've had some struggles and I know you probably haven't. Maybe a couple of them have been up there with David. But I mean, David, dude, David went through it like, like I'm almost not even seen in the Bible. Over and over and over and over again. But he persevered. 
And that's what I want for your life. I want you to persevere. You're going to face struggles. My heart for you as your pastor, I want to see you succeed on the other side of this. Whether it's your fault or it's not your fault. Or if it's God's hand or if it's not God's hand. We have to learn to endure every season we walk through as if it is discipline. And as if there's something to learn on the other side. Verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. He goes on, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons and daughters at all. So this is the thing I I want you to get. If you are truly a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, God is your father and he will discipline you. And this is a sign greater than any other that you are truly in a relationship with God as father. So instead of whining and complaining when we get to that place of discipline and that place of punishment, we say, I'm a son and I'm a daughter of God and he loves me. I'm not an illegitimate child. I'm a son and a daughter of God, and he loves me, and there's things in my life that he has to deal with, and so I will walk through this knowing that I'll be greater on the other side. People ask, well, what, what, what's the sign? What, what's the, one of the things that separates those guys, the, the Sauls and the Davids? They were legitimate children of God who faced discipline with faith and didn't run from it, whine about it, complain. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? This isn't like some foreign philosophy we don't understand. Fathers, mothers, if your little beautiful baby girl bites the fire out of your knee, this happens, (laughs) and looks up at you with a smile and a little bit of your blood, You tell her no. When she does it again, you tell her no. At some point, you got to grow up and put a hand to that child. Everybody's like, you beat your child? You live with that baby girl for one and a half days. I don't think she's half as bad as I was, but I immediately feel bad for my parents. She's precious. I'm just kidding. But the one time I popped her little arm, it was like when we were, at the, we were on vacation with some friends this summer, and this was the first time I really had to, I really just popped her arm a little bit. And, and she walked up, and she's got this thing. She doesn't do it anymore because we've, we've, we've kind of worked through it. But she'll come up, and she'll, like, hug you. And then she just slaps you in the face. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I mean, and it's, I don't, she's not being mean. It's just like her way. I don't know what it is. I think Courtney beats the dog sometimes. And, and maybe she's like, oh, they love because Courtney will like pet And I don't know what to do. She walks up to one of her best friends, Aubrey's little best friend. Slap. <laughs> and by like the third time, I had to get up. And I went up there. And I'm like, and I'm like I don't want to do this, but I have to do it. Because why? Because I love her. And I don't want, that's going to, if she grows up slapping people in the face, that's going to be a hindrance in her life. Yeah. And so I had, I had to just pop her arm and tell her no. And then she, this face of, uh, and then I cried and wanted to kill myself. 
Right, she's got this thing where she's standing up all the time on everything. Last night, she moved uh, her little car seat behind the couch, climbed up over it, and did somersaults over the back of the couch. And about broke her neck five times. Yes, I let her do it five times. <laughs> but there's things that she wants to do that's going to bring pain into her life. And it's going to hurt her. And, it's gonna, and what kind of father would I be? if I did? The same way you, your father disciplined you, your, your mother disciplined you. You had coaches, you had people in your life that disciplined you. Not because they hate you or because they're angry with you, because they know that there's things in your life that need to get out because they're dangerous for you and they're going to hurt you and they're going to bring pain. This is not like a foreign philosophy. This isn't like brand new information. We've already accepted this as the human race. But just when it comes to our Godfather and us, all of a sudden we develop kind of some issues. There is no difference. Your son, your daughter of God. In the same way that, that we submitted to our authority figures, whoever they may have been as children. He goes, how much more should we submit to the authority of our father? And I love the way he said this. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits, our spirits, our souls, our minds, and live? It's through this discipline and this submission to this discipline that we will find how to truly live in this life. He goes on. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So I want you to hear me. No, no child in the moment of getting beat senseless with a belt for directly disrespecting their father at a big family dinner in front of everyone as he prayed. <laughs> you guys want to hear a story? So I don't, I don't remember what the context was. Maybe it was Thanksgiving. I don't know. But there was, there was this dinner, and we were, there was this, like tons of people around this table. And I had started to eat some green beans. And, and my father was at the head of the table, and he was about to pray. I was young. And he was about to pray. And he said, son or Jordan, however he talks, don't eat the green bean before I pray in front of everybody. I was like, all right, what? Whatever. So everybody shuts their eyes to pray. And dad shuts his eyes to pray. Put my hand back in the green bean. Go up to eat my green bean in my mouth. Look to my father. He's praying. And that whole, you've heard him pray. He prays up here sometimes. That holy, holy God. That holy voice. With his eyes open, staring into my soul. I have legitimately never had more fear in my entire life. I swallowed the green bean. He said, amen. Pointed at me and we went into a different room and had a conversation with no words. And to this day, I don't even eat green beans, <laughs> ever. In that moment, dude, I was crying before. As soon as I saw as I was looking at him, I was like, oh, God. I'm like, this is not going to be good. When we walked into the room, I'm the whole way. I'm going, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again, I swear. And in the moment, the belt, this was before we decided, you know, not to raise our children good. Before with the belt... <laughs> It was not a fun experience for me. I will never forget it as long as I live. Did I ever have that problem again? No. 
But in the, in the moment, like, as we walk through it, it's always painful. No matter what it could be, it's always painful. It's always difficult. It's, ne- it's never like, man, this is fun. Ever. You're like, this, is, this, is, this might be the worst thing imaginable in the heat of the moment. But God, Paul, he's making a promise. He promises us. It doesn't, it do, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, this season of our life, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. And I promise you, the one thing that you truly need in this life is righteousness. And the one thing that you truly want and desire in this life is peace. I promise you. I promise you. Righteousness means just righteousness, the right way, the just way, God's way. That is what you need the most, the holiness of God. I promise you, there's nothing else on this planet that you need the most in the righteousness of God because it's the righteousness of God that opens up the door to the relationship with God. And we get that righteousness from Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. We need righteousness. But the thing that we want the most, and I want you to hear me, the thing that we want the most in this life is peace. Peace means wholeness, fullness. There's no holes in our heart. There's no gaps in us. We feel, we feel completely fulfilled. We sleep at night with a smile on our face. This is, it's, it's beyond joy. It's beyond happiness. It's, it's wholeness in life. Everything is right. Everything makes sense. Everything is good. Everything is perfect when we have this wholeness and this peace. And everybody, the dumbest decisions you've made usually are in an effort to try to fill the gaps and the hole in this life. And your attempt to find this, this peace, it can be found no other way through relationship with Jesus. And Paul says that, that this discipline, these seasons of our life, they will produce in you righteousness and this wholeness, this fullness and this satisfaction. He says, so don't buck the system. Don't rise up. Endure through it, knowing on the other side of it. I'm really going to wind up with the thing I need the most and the thing I want the most, righteousness in me.